This is one of the chapters, if uh, we weren't doing a verse-by-verse kind of series, I don't think I'd necessarily pick to do, to be all honest with you. <laughs> What'd y'all learn about in church? Oh, witches pulling forth dead people from the ground. Oh, good. That's nice. <laughs> what this really is, though, is this. And if you've been with us any amount of time, you get to see some of the main lesson repeated. Because here in this chapter, you've got another call of patience before God and obedience to God. And here you have yet again Saul making another mistake and trying to take things into his own hands. And you'll notice the less patient he is, the less obedient he is, the more he takes into his own hands and the more trouble he gets into. So maybe that in itself would be a good a good lesson for a lot of us. If we're not going to have patience, we're probably not going to have obedience. If we're not going to have obedience, we're probably going to screw things up. And when we screw things up, there's consequences that come behind that. Uh, so don't be surprised by that. So here's the picture. Saul is in a terrible, terrible place once again, needing direction from God. He goes about some normal ways of, of finding that direction. Uh, it tells us that. But he doesn't get an answer, or at least he doesn't get an answer fast enough, maybe is the way we should say it. Because we don't really get to know how long Saul waits before he jumps to the very next thing. It's just an immediate kind of, of thing that's going on here. And because it didn't happen when he wanted it to happen, he goes outside of the normal means of God's grace to hear from God. And he tries to find his own solution and his own answer. And I can't think of how often it is we do that and the consequences that come behind that. So you could put it this way. When the right way doesn't work our way, we feel the need to go about it any which way. And you can see that the word witch is in quotation marks there because she's a witch. You know, so think about that. I want my credit on that, Beth. I see it on Facebook how you gave Crystal credit for that. I came up with that. Okay, I know. And that's why I came up with it, because I want her to love me. So I found out. (laughs) Isn't it true, though? Don't we all, like, if something's just not working the way we want it to work, we'll just go about it any which way and make it work any which way? And how often is it that's the reason we get in a lot of trouble? In all honesty, Saul is in total defiance of God, despite the outcome that that was just read. He's totally going about things the wrong way. He's desiring wisdom from God, but yet he's going against God's way to get that wisdom. Now, how often is it us as believers and and as church folks, we try to sugarcoat the way we go about getting wisdom, making it sound like we want God's wisdom? Well, you can want God's wisdom all day long, but if you don't go about getting it God's way, then you're going the wrong way. God has given us very distinct means on which we can go about getting his wisdom in his word, mostly straight from him in his word and prayer and Bible study and, and time with that. Yes, there's the there's the, the option of the outstretched believers of the church, and that's good stuff. But they should never be able to replace God, uh, no matter how good a Christian brother or sister wants to be and how much they mean to give you good advice. They can never replace the true wisdom of God. Uh, so so we need to keep that stuff in check. And as we look this morning at this, here, here's here's Saul's main problem. He wants to bypass God and go to an outside source. And we ourselves, we bypass God a lot of times and go to outside sources. So so here's some of the things. We bypass God by bypassing prayer. You know, sure, he may have done something, but how much did he really devote to his prayer in this section of his life? Scripture tells us to pray without ceasing. Uh, so therefore, it should be a continuous, constant thing that we're doing. But in all honesty, it's usually not to we're in the deepest part of trouble that we even try out prayer. Am I right? 
It's not until we're in the worst possible situation we could get in before we finally cry out to God that maybe we do need his advice and his guidance and his direction to get through something. And then we throw out that one Hail Mary prayer. It's not just a football term. It's a church term, right? We, we throw that one Hail Mary prayer out there, and if it doesn't work, we may or may not ever try it again. Or we may or may not be devoted to, to participating in it over and over again. Another thing he bypasses, we get to, we bypass God, when we bypass our God-given conscience. God has given us a conscience. He's given us a brain to think and be wise about things. And when we choose not to use some of those God-given gifts, we get ourselves in trouble. We bypass God, we bypass his law and his obedience, or our obedience to his law. Uh, that's a big one. And when we do these things, the ending, unfortunately, as we just heard for Saul, is then we bypass and we lose the blessings of God. So let's look at this very first thing. The first two verses, Mike read, they kind of went with chapter 27, but I just, I want to look at them again since they're in this chapter. At that time, the Philistines had gathered military units. They're getting ready to go take care of Saul finally. They, they are tired of this dude. They've got what they need. At least they think David is finally on their side. Um, th- things are going that way. And, and, and the king tells David, David, you're going to be my bodyguard. And we're going to find out exactly how awesome it's going to be with you on our side. Now, we know David is the future king of who they're about to go to war with. So you got to be asking what in the world is going to happen. So David, in all honesty, just gives a good sentence. And then he leaves you at a cliffhanger because you won't get to see it for a couple chapters, or at least not this chapter. And he says, good, you'll find out exactly what your servant can do. And that's the cliffhanger because you're like, what is David really going to do? One thing's for sure. This king is definitely going to find out what David can really do on the battlefield. And it may not be the way this king is thinking that it should be. So then that that stops. And so you kind of say that chapter 27 and chapter 28 have very similar stories. Great time of depression for two people, but divided in a, in a line right there. Really, the line should be, in my opinion, at verse three, because then we switch from David, like we talked about last week, to Saul for this week. So this week's all about Saul. And exactly what he's going through. So we get to verse three and it tells us this king is in deep, deep trouble. I mean, he has refused all the warnings that have been given to him up until this part. And because he's refused all those warnings, God has now quit sending him guidance. And, and I just want to throw this out there for, for any believer, any potential believer, anyone in the mix and confused about what they believe. When you start hearing less and less from God, huge red flag because that means your relationship is being distanced further and further away no different than relationships we have you know here and i, and I thank god for friends that we cannot talk to for long periods of time and, and pick right back up where we are and run with those are cool things but let's just be honest those aren't the same as a relationship where you talk to somebody every single week maybe even every single day you know how, how horrible would a marriage be if we began to hear less and less from one another you know, so so keep that. How, how bad would our parenting be if we spoke to our children less and less? So just heed this warning. The more or the more often we hear less from God, it should be a warning that, that we're probably in in bad, bad situation. And that's what Saul is. It says that he's surrounded by his enemies. Even David is now on the enemy sideline and he's got no idea what that really means. I mean, Saul, Saul really didn't know what to expect at this. So then it says this in verse five. And here's something I want us to point out about, about, about Saul's life that we've seen throughout this whole series. Verse 5 says, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. I don't know if you guys remember some of the course of Saul's life. 
when he first gets called to be king and he's at his, what we would call inauguration, where's he at? He's hiding. Why? Because what is Saul? A coward. You ever notice a lot of Saul's life is backed up by being terrified about everything? Now, understand, I give Saul credit at this point in his life because what he's afraid of, why he's hiding before his inauguration is this. He's terrified that he's not going to be who he's supposed to be as a king. He's not he's afraid he's not going to be able to live up to it. Don't you dare let your fear of you not being able to live up to what you think you can be stop you. He's still at this point. We've talked about this. Saul up until this point still has the full opportunity to be blessed by God if he'll get himself straight. So so then that that part happens and it takes place. And then we get this odd little thing in chapter 11 where he's this great man of courage. I don't know if you remember chapter 11. He takes care of the battlefield and he does what he's supposed to do and he wins and he wins big. He's courageous. And then we get right back. And there, there's a lot of stuff in the middle now. Don't get me wrong. But after chapter 16, and here's a side note, because I know some of you probably don't remember exactly what happened. In chapter 16 is when the scripture tells us, verse 14, that the spirit of the Lord withdrew from Saul. And from 16 all the way up until we make our real point here today in verse 28, Saul gets more chickeny along the way. Yeah, y'all didn't know I was going to invent new words, but I do. Uh, you know, so he does that. He gets more chickeny as this process goes. He becomes more of a chicken, more of a chicken, more of a chicken, more of a chicken from chapter 16, verse 14, all the way through. So you got to ask, what's the difference? What, why at the very beginning when he's getting ready to be picked as king, is he a chicken? Why right in the middle is he courageous and called a, a, a great man of courage, winning the battle for the Lord? And then does it go right back the other way where he is now afraid and trembling? And even when he was afraid, now mark this, even when he was afraid of David, he never showed it. Remember, he still acted mighty. He grabbed his spear, he threw his spear, he talked big, he gathered his group of buddies to go beat him up and all that stuff. So, so he's never shown fear until right now at this very end. It says he was afraid and his heart was, was trembling. He's so afraid. And I give you the answer. Because when he was first called, he didn't really have the spirit of the Lord. And that's why he was afraid. And then he gets the spirit of the Lord. And he, he does some great things that God was using him to accomplish for God's people. And then at chapter 16, verse 14, he loses the spirit of the Lord and fear begins to creep up his spine. And it continues to creep up his spine until we get to 28, where he is so afraid now he has no idea what to do. And it's all because he's lost the spirit of the Lord. Church, when fear begins to take over your life, maybe it's a red flag that the spirit of the Lord isn't as strong in your life as it's supposed to be. And therefore itself was one of Saul's greatest problems right there is he had lost the spirit of the Lord. So he had lost his courage. Now, Samuel, who is dead, is who Saul wants to go to for guidance. Could you imagine if you sat in church service this morning, didn't hear from the Lord? Wasn't brave enough to come to the altar and ask to hear from the Lord, or at least that you see it asking. So your bright, your bright idea next would be to walk out these back doors and pick a grave and try to talk to one of the previous saints that has left this, this period of earth right now as far as living and breathing. Does that sound like great advice? If you saw somebody do that, what would you think of them? This guy has lost his cotton-picking mind. Right? So be careful if you walk outside and go visit any grave sites. Uh, people will think less of you today. And that's all right. 
God's not speaking to him is what it says. And it's not even that he didn't try right away. He did try. He said by dreams. Now, think about this. For, For this culture at times, they would literally think, and God would speak through dreams. We know that from various verses all throughout Scripture. But their idea would be they would get in this 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 holy place, maybe even the church, and go to sleep, and then God would speak to them through a dream. Uh, that doesn't happen here in this building, so don't sleep uh, in this building and, and expect that. No. But but then the other thing is is he says, and we talked about this before. So some of the other means uh, that the priests would use the urium are, are the prophets. He's trying all this stuff, and God's still not speaking to him. And the only thing I can conclude is this: for those of us who are, why wouldn't why wouldn't God just speak up? Well, since Saul didn't care enough to obey what God had already told him for 15 plus years, why should God continue to speak to him now? Am I right? I mean, if we're not going to listen now, now it's on us. It's not just on him. If we're not going to listen to God all the time, he's been trying to tell us something. Why, when we're finally in our dark, most terrifying, fearful moment, do we feel that God owes us an answer immediately? Now, it's still not saying that God's not going to give an answer. It just, God is going to use a really weird way to get a point to him, right? But but he disregards what, what he knew God's will was. And, and church, here's the problem. If we want God to guide us, then we've got we've to be willing to follow the guidance he's already given us. Okay? You know, I wonder if you continued to make the wrong turn with some of these apps that we use for driving. You know, how many times that app would correct before finally just saying, you know what, power off. You, you know, I mean, I'm grateful. You make a wrong turn, it'll tell you wrong turn, turn around, or it'll it'll uh re uh what's it call it uh recalculating, 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 recalculating. I wonder how often it'll recalculate before it would finally say, you know what, you're doing your own thing, power off. You know, and, and sometimes I wonder if that's where God's at with us. He's just sick of us doing our own thing. That he's like, my goodness, I'm just going to sit back and watch. And see where it leads. We reject the word of God and then we we expect still for God to, to cater to our everything. And understand this, church, there's a great thing. Now, when you're a believer and you you do reject the word of God, there is comfort in knowing that you can turn back to God. But one of the lessons, whether we like it or not, we try to point this out in church all the time or not, is this. They will reach a point where if you continue to reject God. God's going to let you have your way. And we don't like that. We're like, hold on now. Yeah, that's what scripture says. Scripture says you want to keep rejecting. I'm a gentleman. I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm not going to force you. It's on you. And if you want to keep rejecting me, then hands off. You will lose the comfort of being able to come back. Now, unfortunately, this stage in Saul's life, he's got this other problem. He had finally done something right, the verse tells us. He had got rid of all the medians, the witches, and, and, and all that stuff. But here he is wanting to use one of them. So he'd put up an actual safeguard for himself. And when we get desperate and we get so hungry, we're willing to do anything, anything to get an answer. And that is where David was last week and now where Saul is this week. So so if you're reading this and you're wondering, one of the, one of the questions we always ask anytime life gets hard, why is God sometimes silent or sometimes seen so far away? I don't know all the time. Okay, so there's number one. We don't know all the time why God is silent. Maybe it's some sort of lesson teaching. Maybe we're not ready for the answer. I don't know what it is. But he, but here's one reason I do know. Sometimes it's a penalty for disobedience. Sometimes God is quiet and it's a penalty of our disobedience. You know, it's no difference than the, than the husband and wife that sit on the couch every evening to watch TV. 
You know, the wife gets in her spot, the husband gets in his spot, and they're sitting there. And one night they're watching it, and finally the woman says, you know what? I don't understand why we don't sit as close to each other as we used to. And the husband has a great answer. He looks back at her and he says, honey, I haven't moved from this spot in years. Sometimes we need to do the moving. Do we understand that? Sometimes if we want to if we want to cuddle, then you better be the one willing to move. And it's no different than God. If we want to cuddle with the Lord, and I think that's a good thing to cuddle with. Right. Then we need to move. We need to move ourselves closer into his presence. We need to move ourselves in positions where we can hear from him, because if we lose the sense of God's presence, it's because we're not cultivating it. And if we're not willing to cultivate the relationship with God, we will lose that presence and the fear that comes in from that. Okay, look at Psalm chapter nine, verses nine and ten. Something David also wrote, and he says this. Yahweh is a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you because you have not abandoned those who seek you. Yahweh. Notice the difference. He doesn't abandon those that are seeking him. When you're in trouble, don't blow past prayer. God didn't answer Saul right away. Instead, what does he do? He goes to a medium. Now, what is a medium? A medium, for those who don't know, that's somebody who communicated with the dead. Or at least they claimed to be able to communicate with the dead. All right? Crazy sounding, whatever. He, he, here's the practice of Deuteronomy chapter 18. says this, Let no one be found among you who practices deviation or sorcery interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or a spiritist or who consults the dead. In other words, Scripture is saying my people are to stay away from these people. And if my people compromise that and engage themselves in this kind of stuff, they are wrong and there will be a punishment for it. Now, some of us are thinking, yeah, but I've never wanted to do that. What about psychics? What about horoscopes? What about tarot card reading? What, what about... Hotlines where you can call or, you know, those stupid little Facebook questionnaires that you can answer and get your future. Is that not playing with the exact same kind of thing? Oh, so now it may be is hitting home more than we thought it would. Right. The, the crazy thing to me is Saul asks for this medium, knowing that he's cast it out. He's thinking, all right, there's got to be got to be one. Left. And his attendants are quick to say where one is. Yeah, you you catching it. That's exactly where I was. How did they know where this lady was? Matter of fact, not how did they know. Why did they know where she was? You ever notice sometimes you'll ask a, a church person a question that, that maybe you think should be a kind of an outside question, not an inside church kind of question, and they'll answer it right away? You got to look. How, how did you know? How did you know what that answer was? Right. Sometimes we know things we maybe shouldn't know. Now, when you look at this, they do give that answer. They even tell them exactly where it is. And here's what you need to understand if you're looking at a map. Indoor is six miles away from where Saul's camped at right now. Six miles in the direction of the enemy. Saul is so desperate, he's willing to now cross enemy lines to get an answer. Have you ever been so desperate for just any answer? That you're willing to cross enemy lines to get the answer? Huh? That's where Saul's at. He's so desperate that he's willing to cross enemy lines to do this. Church, when you and I play with some of the things that we're not supposed to be playing with, we're stepping behind enemy lines. And when we're willing to step inside enemy lines or behind enemy lines, we risk great consequences. Keep in mind, there, there are safe ways to approach the spirit world. Prayer, 
worship, uh, uh, reading of the word. There's safe ways to approach it. But when we're willing to go through these other ways that the Bible tells us specifically to stay away from, there's a reason it's telling us to stay away from. Them. And, he, and he bypasses all that because he's not only willing to bypass prayer, he's willing to bypass his conscience. Now, now here, here's where I can prove that he does that. Look at verse eight. Verse eight says this. Saul disguised himself. If y'all got to disguise yourself to do something. Probably not the best thing to be doing. You know what I'm saying? It's like the dumb married person that knows they got to take off their ring before they do certain things. If you got to slide the ring off, you should probably just stop right there. It should be a red flag, huge warning that's saying, stop, don't do this anymore. If you got to put a hat on and pull it down, pull a hoodie over. If you got to hope for God's sake, nobody recognize you when you go to the liquor store. Those are things. Those are things that you should be worried about. But he goes even deeper in case that isn't enough for us. He puts on different clothes and he sets out with two of his men and they can't. It's bad when we take people into trouble with us too, isn't it? Saul gets a lot of people in trouble this whole chapter right here. Take some people with him. They came to a woman at night. Mm-hmm. That's what I say in two, girl. Right? If you got to wait until nighttime to do something, it probably ain't the best thing for you to be doing. You know, mom and dad used to always say nothing good happens after nine o'clock. Then it was eight o'clock and seven o'clock. <laughs> right. Because in all honesty, let's be honest, trouble happens the later it gets. Am I right? Saul knows he's literally disregarding his conscience, a, a thing that God has given him. Our brain is a gift from God to help us make good decisions. So when we get that little knocking of, hey, dummy, this probably ain't the best thing. We should listen to it. But when we don't listen to it, we get ourselves in trouble. He knows what he's doing is wrong. Another example, Job chapter 24. When daylight is gone, the murderer rises up and kills the poor and needy. In the night, he steals like a thief. The eye of the adulterer watches the dusk and thinks, no eye will be able to see me now. And he keeps his face concealed. In the dark, verse 16, in the dark, men break into houses, but by day they shut themselves in. They want nothing to do with the light. Church, you and I are supposed to be followers of the light. We're supposed to cut the light on. Why? Because light drives away darkness. You know, it's kind of the twist. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Day, right? So it's kind of the twist on something I've always loved, very much loved what he says. And it's something both sides of the argument need to hear loud and clear. More hate will not drive out hate. It's going to take love to drive out hate. And that's in any argument, any situation, any kind of thing, where we're talking race, sex, or any other thing, okay? It's no different for us as believers. More darkness ain't going to get out the darkness. It's going to take light. we got to start cutting on more light so that people can see. You know, we, we talked in the upper room Wednesday night about that green monster of envy, that jealousy, and one of the best ways we can combat that thing is to cut a light on it. You get rid of the monsters when you cut the light on, right? I know if my kids are scared, I just cut a light on it. It's good. Everything's good. A monster runs away as soon as the light's cut on. Maybe we need to start cutting the light on some of our sins so that that monster can get the heck out of here. Cut the light on it. Let it be known. Don't let it be a secret. Now, understand this, too, because hold on. Y'all read this and y'all hear verses about confess your sins to one another. Don't post your sins on Facebook. You understand? Ain't nobody on Facebook need to see your sins. 
unless you're in like a very private Bible studying group that is a prayer Facebook group only. Okay? Don't tweet them. Don't advertise them for the world to see. Don't do what's the other thing? Instagram, whatever everybody else is using, right? You can tell I don't use none of this stuff. So, so don't do none of that. If you want to, if you want to follow scripture and confess, first you confess to God. And then, yeah, you can find you, if you need be some help, some guidance, some structure, some adjusting, some encouragement, then yeah, find you a good Bible believing, not any church, not any Christian, and sit down with them and say, hey man, here's what I'm struggling with. These are sins I, I'm following and I'm ready to be done with them. That's what scripture someone what says, confess your sin to one another. Not just run out there and advertise to the world how dirty you is. Nobody puts their brown underwear on the line, right? Think about that. Come on now. Huh? Unless you're planning to go look at the stars, wait until dark to do something, it probably means you shouldn't be doing it. All right? Simple, simple as that. Guide your conscience, let your conscience guide you. Saul ought to satisfy, he wants to satisfy his need, his way, instead of waiting on God. If a person finds, write this down, This I didn't get this until this morning. If a per, And I don't get credit for it. If a person finds God's commands repulsive, he also finds them easy to cast aside. Now that sounds real simple, but I think that's real true. If a person finds God's commands repulsive, he also finds them easy to cast aside. The things you're not doing that God's commanded you to do is because you don't like them. It's that simple, right? We think of scripture and God and his law and obedience like a buffet. You roll on through the thing and you pick out what you want to do. And, and then you put a cherry on top, maybe a whipped cream to pour your extra sugar in the sweet tea and, and you're done. Sometimes scripture says you better have water and you just get lettuce. OK, now, you take that for what you need it to mean. But that's that's how we go. It's a foolish thing to do when we cast aside God's commands because nothing substitutes God's direction in our life. Nothing. God's light is better than darkness. Open this word. Let the light go itself. And when we bypass obedience and we bypass our conscience, that's when we start bypassing his law. Look at chapter or verses nine and ten. Verses nine and ten. Now, this is just crazy to me right here. Right. The woman says, you'll surely know. What Saul has done, how's he cut off? She's basically saying this. I know it's wrong what I'm doing. There's a lot of confession going on in this chapter. That's kind of scary because they keep on doing what they're doing right after they confess. So confession itself is not enough, believers. OK, there has to be some repent after the confession. She's confessing. I know what I'm doing is wrong. And if Saul finds out. He's going to kill me. So notice the consequence. Maybe you could call that foreshadowing if this was a movie. Right. The, the punishment for messing around and this kind of evil. Is death. Well, we have read the end of the chapter, so we know what Saul gets promised. Death. Right? So she's saying this. Verse 10, here's what Saul says back to her. And I just point this out for this. Spiritual jargon means nothing. Okay? Because here's what he says, verse 10. Saul swore to her by the Lord. Oh, he sounds so spiritual and mighty, right? Just sounds so holy. He swore by the Lord. Yeah, so does a bunch of dope dealers that come... In the areas I know of. Right? Think about that. You ever notice the drug dealers got the crosses all the time? They, they, they the first one to flash a cross and you just wonder, do you, do you really understand what happened on that thing for you? Are you, are you really, are you really understanding exactly what's going on with that? Right? Why? Because spiritual jargon means nothing. Folks, just being able to talk it ain't enough. You got to be able to walk it. He's telling her, I swear. Now, here's the bad part. This is the last time. Here's what's really, really sad. You talk about your last words being meaningful. You know, sometimes we don't get to know when we're going to die. But sometimes 
if, if it is a deathbed kind of thing, you know what you're going to get to say, that, then both sides get that opportunity of those last words to be meaningful and, and last to be good, right? So you put on your tombstone, last words, you know, something, something nicer. His last words using the Lord's name is to swear to a witch that she's not going to get punished for sinning against God. Do you see how dark and how far Saul has fallen? I mean, this is crazy. I know I may not get to pick my last words or the last time I used the Lord's name, but I don't want it to be this way. I mean, could you imagine that? First thing you hear from from the Lord when y'all when y'all spend an eternity together. Hey, you remember the last time you used my name? I do. Yeah, I do too. It totally changes, you know, man, right? He bypasses obedience. Look at this. Saul not only sins against God, he leads other people into sin. Look at 11 through 14. They actually go through with this. They do it even after both sides have already said how wrong it is. You know, this this almost reminds me of like a like like an adultery case. Oh, I'm married. We shouldn't do this. I'm married too, baby. We shouldn't do this. Boom, we do this. What are you talking about? Like both of you knew distinctly that you shouldn't do this and you do it. And there's where he's at. They're both, everybody in the party saying, oh, this is wrong, but we're going to do it. So 11 through 14, they do it. And here's something we need to realize. Our sin can lead others to sin. Now, I'm not taking away the burden of the other person that sins. I'm just increasing the burden on us for leading people to sin. So you can use this as an excuse. You cannot, I'm sorry, you cannot use this as an excuse that it's not your fault. Somebody else made me do it. But it does heighten the awareness and, and, the, and the weight on the other person. Especially in a case like this, because think about what's really going on right here. Saul's wrong. The medium's wrong. Why? The woman is responsible for her own sin. But she wouldn't have done it if Saul didn't go to her, right? You see that? Hmm. But if she wasn't a witch, he wouldn't have went to her either. So now do you see how much weight they really got on each other? Understand this, right? We, we, we got this same case going on right here. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 18. In verse 7. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. This is Jesus talking to believers. Talking to his own followers. And then back to this this chapter 28. We get to probably the strangest part of the story. Because I'm going to be honest, it's like when you're reading this, if you're a believer, you're thinking, I is going to go to this room, nothing's going to happen, and he's going to see just how wrong sorcery is. He goes to this room, he convinces her to do it, and it works. It works so well, not only is Saul now scared to death, the lady doing the seance is scared to death. Look at verse 12. This tells you how good she probably was at her job, right? Verse 12 says this. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed like, holy crap, this time it worked, right? Maybe we should put a little, if you write in your Bible, now nah, you probably shouldn't put holy crap in your Bible. That's not good, right? She screamed, <laughs> erase that online. And then she asked Saul, why did you deceive me? You were Saul. So now she's figuring out exactly what's going on here, right? She, she's petrified of what happened. So I played this thing a couple different ways in my head. Maybe before it's never worked for her. 
She's been faking it the entire time, which I think is probably 90% of black magic outside these walls, okay? Maybe she's part of the 10% that a demonic spirit, let's remember, there, there are both sides of this, okay? Maybe she's part, and I'm not saying percents are exact, so please don't write those down and think they're right, okay? Maybe she's part of the small percent, we'll use that. Small percent where there was real demonic activity taking place. She's been communicating with a real demonic spirit who pretended to be these dead people and give messages, right? But she ain't never met the Holy Spirit. Right? You see, you see how it changes? She's been used to playing with demonic spirit, but when she meets the Holy Spirit, he's unfamiliar to her. Now, some of y'all thinking right now, hold on now, Pastor. I thought the Holy Spirit didn't come about. No, Holy Spirit been there, okay? Don't fall in that old religious trap of thinking that the Holy Spirit is like this New Testament idea. Holy Spirit been there since the beginning. He going to be there to the end. All right? He going to spend eternity with us just like, you know what I'm saying? We, we don't, don't put no timeline on when the Holy Spirit coming. She, she meets this thing, and, and it terrifies her. She's like, holy cow, like what? What am I really going to do? So so he makes this thing. Look, look at Saul. Saul's quick. What's it look like? Well, he's old. He's in spirit form. He's come up out of the grave. He's wearing a robe. Now, y'all remember when uh, back in the chapter when the Holy Spirit, I think it was chapter chapter 11 or chapter, or chapter 16, in chapter 16, when the, when the Holy Spirit left, he tore a piece of Samuel's robe. I bet he was wearing the same robe. You know what I'm saying? I bet I bet that same little tear was there, right? That's just my mindset. Maybe not so, right? So he's wearing a robe, and Saul knew it was Samuel. I point this out to say this. I really do believe it was as much possible. I don't know if it was Samuel 100%, but I really believe they thought this was Samuel 100%. Okay, so you got a little bit of what we can call gray area there in this thing. Now, here's what I really want us to understand. This was an extraordinary, frightening event for this lady because she was not in control. You need to make sure you get that. She has lost control now of this thing. Y'all ever seen, uh, y'all ever seen the old, two old school movies that portray this really, really well? Ghost? Y'all ever seen Whoopi Goldberg? She's faking it and then she gets a real ghost and holy crap, right? She gets that holy crap moment. Okay. Holy crap moments are good. There's nothing wrong with those. Okay. So she's got it. Or you ever seen Beetlejuice? Old school Beatles. Yeah, Brandon, you with me. Amen, brother. Right? I can't believe you watched that satanic stuff in your house. How evil are you? Right? So, so Beetlejuice, you've got this fake person who, who, who says they can interpret with the dead and, and connect and all. And then Beetlejuice shows up. And everybody's like, holy crap. We, they are no longer in control. Remember, he makes them do the, the mamba dance at the dinner table and all that stuff. They lose control. Now, we're laughing, but I need to make sure we understand this. This lady has no control right now. Because if we give her control, we give demonic forces power. Which is why I'm so confused when I read some of the stuff on, on this chapter. And they say, oh no, that was Satan using that. Why would Satan want to condemn Saul's sin? He would be encouraging him and cheering him on. Hey, way to go, David. Whoa. It would never be the lesson that, in the message that he gets, okay? This is God using a crazy means because he's sovereign. He can do it however he wants to and takes control of the situation. Okay? Everybody understand that? All right, I don't want no demonic forces getting any power up in this house. All right, so we're on the same page. That's good. Really is Samuel, because it says it is. Make sure you get it. Some people will be telling me, no, it's just a ghost in a white. No, no, they see Samuel. Okay, this, this is not some gimmick thing that's going on. Samuel really comes, but not because the medium called him, because God had a special purpose for it. Okay, there's the, there's the big difference right there. And it reconfirms why. It does two things. Think about what happens to both of the people involved in this situation. You're wondering, why would God do this? And I don't know exactly why God would, but I see two real clear lessons. 
First, what's the message he's about to give Saul? He reminds him of his sin and he tells him you're done. This is that point blank. You screwed up. Now you're dead. Not only are you going to die, Israel going to die and your son's going to die. Okay. Israelites, not all of Israel. Okay. So, so, so there's that. But also, what do you think it did for the woman who for the first time in her life, she actually has a seance work? Yeah, time to get a new job. Amen. Time to go to church. Right. I bet she was in church on Sunday morning. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know what happened, but here's what I need to fix. Right. So, so, so not only is he warning Saul about his, his final, his final outcome, there's nothing he can do to change it. Okay. He's also getting this medium an opportunity to see how dangerous her black magic is. I point this out to say this because when I read this, all I see is God's grace at this moment again. I think Saul's an idiot. I think God should have beat his little head in a long time ago in all honesty. Okay. But thank God he's got more grace and mercy than I got because he's constantly giving Saul all these warnings over and over and over again. Right. Over and over. He's basically you could say it this way. He's basically saying, look, either make peace with your maker or not, because in 24 hours you're gone. That's not saying if he makes peace with his maker, his outcome is going to change. Notice that. But he does get at least one more opportunity, one more opportunity to make peace. Now, we talked about how often Saul could have made peace. He could have got right as a king. He could have surrendered over to David and did things the right way and probably been a pretty high ranking official and had a good relationship with everybody, including his son. Right. So there's plenty of opportunities. And now here at the final moment, and we don't all get this. But at the final moment, he's even allowed to still make peace with his maker. When we close our ears to God, God will find weird and unusual and uncomfortable ways to speak to us. Right. Think about that. If God's speaking to you in an uncomfortable and unusual way, maybe it's because you've closed off all the other ways to him. Right. And you needed that shock factor to get you. Right. Check this out. Look at 15. 15 through 19. Samuel's message to him. You go to 15 first. I just think 15 is funny. No huge spiritual. Well, if you do a little digging uh, and understanding on afterlife, I guess you could get some, some deeper stuff out of it, right? We're not, we're not going to go in there because we really wouldn't be here until the sun comes up. All right? But for verse 15, he says this. Why have you disturbed me? Any of you ever finally got real good sleep? You didn't have to wake up the next morning because maybe there wasn't no work. The kids didn't have to go to school. But those little heavenly angels wake you up. You ever had this question? Why are you disturbing me again? Right? That, that's where he's at. Can you imagine the good sleep? You know what Paul says in the New Testament? All the, bro- all the people that are passing before us are saying they're sleeping. They're getting some real good spiritual sleep, right? Samuel's thinking right now. Why are you waking? I'm having the best sleep of my life. Why are you waking me up? Literally. Best sleep of my afterlife, I guess you could say, right? So, so like anybody else, Saul answers him. Man, I tried talking to God, but he wouldn't answer. So now I'm trying to get you. I tried talking to God, but he wouldn't answer. So now I'm trying to get you. He's gotten to a point where instead of waiting on God, he's wanting to talk to dead people. This is crazy. This is crazy, right? Why would he think that disobeying God further is somehow going to get him back on track with God? That's what really blows my mind because he's constantly said how wrong he was, but yet he thinks this is going to, I'm going to get God's wisdom somewhere along this line. That'd be like getting in the wrong lane and driving faster. 
You know what I'm saying? Like you're driving away from your destination, but now you're flooring it. And you're seeing just how fast you can go. All you're going to do is get further away from your goal, not closer to your goal, right? That's where he's at. He's flooring it, getting further away from his goal. Samuel tells Saul, <laughs> good. When you don't want an honest answer, don't ask the Bible believing person, okay? Because, I mean, this is just as good as it gets. Samuel looks at Saul and he says, God's doing what he told you he was going to do earlier. You know what I'm saying? Think about it. If you're in a bad situation and you put yourself there from dabbling in sin and playing in sin, right? And you go to some spiritual person thinking you're going to get like the feel good message and and, and things are going to get better. And they look at you and be like, yeah, God told you if you play with sin, your hand gets popped. I know I need the I need the other part of the message. Where, where's the where's the good? And Samuel says, no, I'm not going to change God's message. He actually even says that at one point. He says, I, I'm a servant of God. What makes you think I'm going to be able to go against God? You can't expect God to speak if you hadn't been listening to him up until now. Right. This whole scene, Saul is seeking Samuel instead of seeking God. And it reminds me of this. Now, not to pick on and I know none of you never have. So we'll keep it all neutral. OK, but here's what all honesty this scene reminds me of. Somebody comes to me because I'm pastor and they want to justify, they want to justify why they're doing what they're doing. And they started with this. Some of y'all laughing, so I know some of y'all experience this. Okay. They started with this. I know I shouldn't be sleeping to so many women, but let me tell you about my case because it's different. Oh yeah. I read that in Malachi chapter 78 where it said your case was different than everybody else's case. That's not in scripture, right? Or, or they do this other sin, whatever it is, and, and they try to justify by saying, you just don't understand. Like for me, it's different. It's different because you say it's different, but not because God said it's different. Meaning that the consequence behind it is going to be the exact same thing. What they're hoping is this. They're hoping by telling me their story and making the, the poor, poor, pitiful me patty party uh, get going really well, that they'll seek my emotional side. And emotionally, I'll be able to tell them it's okay what you're doing. So every once in a while, I'll be bold enough to give a good, honest answer like this. Brother, if I was you, I may have made the same mistake, but we would both be going to hell for making the mistakes we make. Something maybe like that, because I always get you ever throw that out there. That just get somebody's attention real quick. Huh? Well, you say I thought you was going to just now. I know just fine. I'm telling you right now, we'd both be going directly against what God's saying. I, I'm not going to join your, your party with you. Right. Because we want to bypass prayer, we want to bypass obedience, we want to bypass our conscience, we want to bypass God's law. Right? Right? We can't go against God's word. And I'm not going to go against God's word to make somebody feel better. Okay? Because I don't feel like it. I got enough to answer for. I don't need to answer for that one too. Alright? Why do you ask me? Here's what, here's what Samuel is saying to him. This is, this is the part I was talking about. Why do you ask me seeing the Lord has departed from you already? And has become your enemy. He's basically saying, look, if God's your enemy right now, I'm your enemy right now. Because I'm on God's side. We need to be okay to draw lines in the sand like that, believers, by the way. And we shouldn't have to die to do so. Okay, so we should be able to do it while we're alive. Verse 16. Samuel saying, I'm on the Lord's side. If the Lord wouldn't tell Saul what he wanted, what makes you think there's any reason I'm going to? I keep thinking that maybe Saul's got this mindset of thinking things are going to change for some reason. Right? But scripture says that God will judge every disobedience. Look where he skips down to verse 19 here. And he reminds him, the Lord will hand over both Israel and you to the Philistines. 
And tomorrow, 24 hours from now, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. I can't think of a more gloomy thing to hear from a dead man than in 24 hours you're going to be with me. Right? I mean, that, that, I mean, that, he, he's just gotten it. And, and then he even justifies it, right? Or before that, I'm sorry, I should have read 17 18 first. He justifies it. Because you did not, he goes back to 17 and 18, or literal uh, interpretation of 1 Samuel 15, 28 and 29. He tells them, because you didn't do what you were told to do back in chapter 15. You, you didn't deal with the Amalekites the way you were supposed to. You, you didn't, you didn't, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your, uh, given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you, for he is not a man that should relent. Apparently in 15 years, Saul continued to think that God was going to change his mind. And I'm afraid that some people sit in the church every week and they keep thinking God's going to change their mind about something that God's already said. Time does not make God change his mind. If God chooses to change his mind, it's going to take a repentant heart and a turnaround spirit. Not time. God ain't changing with time, okay? That, that is not going to work. Look at verse 19 again. The Lord will deliver Israel into your hand, the Philistines into your hand, and your sons. So not only does sin make other people sin, but the consequence of sin now has consequences on other people too. If you're not willing to stop some of the stupid stuff you're doing because you're not worried about yourself getting hurt, my goodness, at least worry about our children in our country getting hurt. Right? He's saying, look, because of the decisions you made, everybody's going to have some sort of punishment and trouble going through this thing. Why? Because sin costs more than just you. It costs others involved. That's a scary thing, man. Especially with some of our stuff in future generations. Now, if you want to test a spirit encounter and you're wondering after reading this chapter in this section about, you know, true revelation and all that stuff, I don't care how impressive the encounter is. I don't care how much screaming and how much cool factor it has. If the spirit being or the angel from heaven or Samuel himself preaches any other gospel to you, let him be accursed is what Galatians 1.8 says. Meaning that if it changes scripture and God's word in any which way, it is wrong and deserves punishment. Okay, it's the same reason it is. You don't see faith healers in hospitals. The same reason you don't see psychics winning the lottery, because there's a bunch of phonies and fakes out there, right? If somebody could predict every winning lottery number, don't you think they'd be billionaires? I would. God, you give me that power. I'm telling you right now, I'm gonna be rich. They don't need to lie about it. I'm gonna play the lottery. I ain't never played before, but I'm gonna play the numbers that I know is gonna win. And if I can heal everybody, I'm going to sit down at the hospital and every soul that walks through the door is going to be saved. Physically speaking, at least, and hopefully that'll get some spiritual healing going too, right? I mean, wouldn't we not be any other different? No. And you don't see this stuff happen. You know, the only reason you see faith healers healing on TV and popping somebody in there, I don't know what the forehead does, by the way. Maybe it like shakes the brain and gets them to think different or something. Man, that's why I got to do that. But you, you don't ever wonder why you only see it on TV? I don't know why I only, I don't know why I stand in line and raise my hand and the faith healer won't pick me. He'll pick the guy beside me that they just had coffee with before. There's a reason. There's a reason. Think about it, man. Okay. Look at this. No benefit to sin. Here's where we need to wrap this thing up. 20 through 22. The result of all this. When you bypass God, you bypass prayer, you bypass your conscience, you bypass obedience, you bypass his law. The result, you bypass God's blessing. And we get to see this real clear. No benefit in sin. 20. Through 22, verse 20. And all this time we've kind of talked about at the end of this, this section of Samuel, the, the rise and fall of Saul. 
Well, he started this, this chapter. First time he's mentioned, he's a head tall in everybody. Remember that? He's standing tall. How's the end? Verse 20. Laid out on the ground before a witch. Laid out on, I'm, 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 it needs to be nasty because it is, man. Because there's no benefit in sin, right? Saul is pitiful here. He's flat on the ground. He's filled with fear. He hasn't eaten. He's drained of strength. He's judged by God. And the only person in the room having pity on him at this moment is a witch. Do we see how ugly it's gotten for him? When the only person having pity for you is a witch or a medium or whatever name you want to give her, somebody practicing dark, dark sorcery, you are in a dark, dark spot. Now, you think this woman's probably seen some stuff. She's had people come to her, want to bring forth, you know, dead people that have passed. And she's faked the game, fake it till you make it kind of idea going on. She's seen some people in some dark, dark moments. It says that when she sees Saul, it says this in verse 21, the woman came to Saul and Saul. I mean, yeah, the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled. Like she takes notice on him out of all the people that she's seen go through different stuff. We basically have the occult comforting a king at the end of his life. Romans 6.21 says this, the Apostle Paul, what benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. You notice how when we're practicing sin and participating in sin, we're kind of proud of them. You know, I, I've talked before, and I, I think it's still one of the dumbest things when, when believers sit around and they talk about how much they used to be able to drink. We should not be proud of our past sins and mistakes. Now, I'm not even talking about whether you should drink or not. I'm talking about getting drunk. You know, two men sit down together. Oh, man, I used to be able to kick back 36 of them. You couldn't handle but 24. You, we, we're bragging about how dirty we were. No different than dumb men bragging about how many women they could get. Okay? If you want to brag? I'm proud. That's the only woman i ever been with. Ever. Okay? Now, some hold on, you just lost your man card on the football team. I don't give a lick about my man card on the football team. I care about my man card with the Lord. Okay? So, so think about that, guys. We brag about some stupid stuff. And I think it's because we don't realize how dirty and pitiful those things were. We don't realize how ugly sin was because we haven't looked at it through the eyes of God and we keep looking at it through the eyes of man. We've got to look at our sin through the eyes of the Lord. And when we look at him through the eyes of the Lord, we see how dirty and miserable we really were and how much we're in need of being cleaned up and never wanting to go back there again. Right? We shouldn't want to endeavor in those things anymore. We should want to stay as far away from them as we possibly can because they repulse us. They repulse us because they repulse God. And here's where this woman is feeling bad. And they ate, it says. And they ate. Wow, he gets his last meal just like everybody else on death row. Huh? Because then it says he rose and went away that night. He left knowing what his fate was going to be. And here's just another idea maybe I had. And I don't even know if this one's 100% right, but it makes sense to me. So I'll stand kind of in the middle right here. Don't, don't, don't go against scripture, so don't think that. I wonder sometimes, you know, we asked that question at the beginning. Why does God not answer us sometimes? I wonder sometimes God doesn't give us an answer because it's not going to do us any good to get the answer. You see what I'm saying with Saul right here? Saul gets, he gets what he wanted. He was asking, he was asking, he was asking, and God said, I'm not going to say nothing, I'm not going to say nothing, I'm not going to say nothing, because it's not going to help you and benefit you in any which way. And finally, he gets it. What is it? You've been an idiot. The Lord has left you. You're going to die. Your sons are going to die, and your army's going to lose. Saul's sitting, mouth dropped, on the ground crying. 
And I bet he had this moment before the battle ended 24 hours from now. I wish I never would have known. Could you imagine going into a battle knowing you're about to get your butt kicked? Like there's nothing you can do about it. I think he finally realized there's nothing I can do to change God's mind. This is what's going to happen. And I think that's where God had gotten. God said, look, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make peace with me one last time, but it's not going to change the outcome. And that's why I didn't want to take. That's one of the reasons I kept being quiet when you kept asking, because it wasn't going to help you in any way. So why should I told you? I don't know. I just wonder that. Sometimes I, I can't handle what what God would have to tell me because God is truthful and honest. Right. So maybe those are the moments and maybe that's why sometimes God just doesn't say anything in those moments because it's not going to be beneficial to me or to him or to anybody else. Maybe it's because he even knew at this last moment to give him a chance to make peace with his with with, with Yahweh that he wasn't going to do it. So it literally was a waste of a conversation. But who knows? Maybe the medium had a turnaround in her life later. We don't get to know. And was saved from it. First Chronicles chapter 10. 13 through 14 writes this in case we were in any question or any debate. Saul died for his unfaithfulness to Yahweh because he did not keep Yahweh's word. He even consulted a medium for guidance, but he did not inquire of Yahweh. So Yahweh put him to death and turned the kingdom over to the David son of Jesse. There's no debate on why David got or Saul got what he got. And for you and I in the New Testament, he puts it this way, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. There's, there's no sugarcoat in what God's word says. When we bypass God, we bypass God's blessing. And if we try to bypass Jesus, then we bypass salvation. First John, or I'm sorry, just the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no deviating from the, there's no deviating from the process. There's no change in the route, no trying to do it your way, right? We cannot earn our way into his kingdom. Eternal life is found in nothing but Jesus Christ alone. And Saul, we we read this thing, we're like, Saul chose a witch over God. That's pretty bad. It is pretty bad. But do you realize anything we choose over God is pretty bad? Anything we choose over God is pretty bad? Anything. Maybe you're not messing around with sorcery. Maybe you're messing around with, 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 with some other substances or other events that help you cope with what you're going through. Would it be any different? No, I think it's got the same kind of same kind of outcome right here, right? So when you wake up in the morning, don't bypass God. When you're facing temptation, don't bypass God. When things aren't going well, don't bypass God. And when things are going well, still don't bypass God. Why? Seek God's will through his word. Seek God's will through communication and prayer with him. Pay attention to your conscience when God gives you that ability to, to think maybe something I'm doing right now just isn't right. Because where, where, where Samuel is or where Saul is right now, I'm sorry, he, he can't say it's well with my soul. You know what I'm saying? Like he's thinking the exact opposite. He wouldn't be able to sing this last song with us. He'd be thinking it is miserable with my soul. It is painful with my soul. But you and I, we've got the opportunity to sing it the other way. We can say it is well with my soul, not because of anything I've done but because of what he's done inside of me. Because of what I've opened myself up to allow him to do. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much for this morning, God. We love you for your word. God, we thank you for the honesty of your scriptures. We thank you, Lord God, that sometimes they're not stories we want to read. 
They're not things we want to think about, but they're things we need to read and things we need to think about. Lord, I pray right now for every believer in this room, Lord God, that if we've been deviating from your plan in any which way because of a lack of obedience or a lack of patience, then Lord God, you convict us right now so that we change that. So that we have the opportunity to get right with you this morning before we even leave here. So that we can live the rest of our days, Lord God, being patient and obedient with you. Being courageous and having enough trust in you to know, Lord God, that you've got everything handled. All we got to do is follow your commands and not worry about the results. Lord God, if there's somebody in here who doesn't know you, Lord God, I pray this morning, Lord, that they just get to feel your presence and your spirit, Lord. God, that they get to understand that your son truly is the only way. And God, I pray that that make them investigate things and check things out. God, help them to find a relationship with you, Lord God, as your hand is outstretched for them. God, pick us all up where we've fallen. Dust us off, Lord God, and use us, God, because we are worthy because you make us worthy. In your great name we pray. Amen.